The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Special week calls for special episodes and special guests on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Joined as always, long time no talk, John. Uh, John Sheeran, happy to be seeing your lovely face again, my friend. We've got a, a special show lined up here with a special guest, but uh, how have you been doing since 24 hours ago, basically, when we, when we recorded? Just another day, man. It just The week just keeps dragging just one day closer. That's all that matters. That's right. And we have a very special guest here, Joe Valerio, former offensive lineman with the Kansas City Chiefs and in the NFL, an Ivy Leaguer, great guy and current host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. We're happy to be joined by him to get some information on the opponent in the AFC championship game. And there are there's really no one better I can think of to get a peek behind the curtain here. And we are joined by Joe Valerio of the Believe Podcast Network. Joe, welcome to the program. How are you doing, sir? Oh, my gosh, Anthony, John, great to be with you. Like I'm watching that intro. Can I be on the next time uh, Anthony Munoz is on, please? Yeah. Yes, you uh, got it. My, one of my all-time heroes. You know, we share we share the NFL record for the most touchdowns by alignment. We're actually co co-owners of that so i've got to talk to anthony the next time he's on literally one of the guys i felt like i tried to model my play after watching him play all those years so i saw his picture come up and i was like oh anthony i gotta be on with him next time we got him startled now we got got him rattled a little bit you know know. i'm rattled i'm rattled i'll give you all the insights i can as long as the bengals coaches aren't listening you know (laughs) coming up with some of my ideas here about how to stop patrick and you know, what uh, What the offensive line can do to, sh- you know, shore some things up and things like that. But it's going to be a great game. And I had this Bengals team so exciting. And I'm so happy for the city of Cincinnati to have, you know, this uh, this excitement coming back after, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a drought. So, yeah, uh, just a small drought, small one. Um, yeah. Look, we've got a lot to talk about. We want to talk about this matchup, the Kansas City Chiefs, your thoughts on the Bengals, obviously some things in your playing career, really cool stuff 
story. I, I actually didn't know. I, I feel like I know a lot of tidbits of information and trivia about football. I did not know that stat about the touchdowns that uh, by offensive linemen shared with Anthony. Moon. I had no idea. And it's really cool. Uh, you had a, a great career yourself. And we also had Richmond Webb on the program a, a while ago. And anytime Anthony Munoz comes into the discussion, it seems like every former or current offensive lineman says that's that's the dude who's the standard, you know. So oh, he was. He was the yeah. standard bearer for, you know, how you play, how you conduct yourself as a player, as a human being, just a fantastic person, you know, yeah. more, more than any. More importantly, you know, besides yeah. the Hall of Fame career, he's just a fantastic dude. So you know, really, really cool stuff on number 78. So that's yeah. the number I wore, number I wore in high school. So I still, you know, think about that. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of start with the, the chiefs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why you're here, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, look, this, this has kind of been a tale of two seasons a little bit for the Kansas city chiefs and they started off slow for them. Uh, they started off slow. There were some turnover issues, some defensive issues, they really turned the corner, had that 8-0 run towards the middle and end of the season, and then here they are now in the AFC Championship. What, in your opinion, were some of the major issues early in the season, and what was the, the, the couple of key things or one key thing that really had them turn that corner right around the middle of the season and got them to where they are right now? Yeah, so no, it's a great place to start because it was, you know, not, it was pretty unexpected, right, for, for the Chiefs to have that air quote, slow start, right? I mean, everybody expected them after last season kind of getting thumped in the Super Bowl. They they made all the improvements um, on the offensive line, right? We could talk a lot about what the Chiefs did on the offensive line. Um, that was Brett Beach's, you know, this is his, his dream right here coming true on how uh, they were able to shore that up going into this final part of the offseason or the uh, postseason push. Um but, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it took a little while for Coach Steve Spagnuolo to get the defensive positioning and get mm -hmm. the right people of the, you know, if you think of it as a puzzle, it was tough to get all those pieces together. And it just took him a little while. And, and the Chiefs defense has historically over the last four years, has that's been their MO, right, was to kind of like feel their way through and then figure it out. Like, can't remember, guys, like I call September the new preseason in the NFL because you don't have the luxury anymore of, you know, playing four tough preseason games where starters might get a quarter, a half, three quarters of a game. I mean, camp is, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from these awesome athletes that are playing today, but it's like a country club compared to when, when we were playing back in the nineties and, you know, in the eighties, it was like, we used to say around Kansas city, like, Marty time was Lombardi time. Like our training camps were 13 days in a row, full pad two a days, one day off, and then 13 more two pad, you know, two a days in a, or full pad two a days in a row. So we were ready by the time we got to September. I think I think teams today, September's a little bit of a feel around, you know, like all right, who who can really tackle? Who 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 are the guys that can really cover in a game situation when when, when receivers are going all out. So I know that was a long answer to a short question, but I think that was no, part of the Chiefs. I think that was part of the Chiefs problem on defense is getting the right pieces in place. I mean, moving Chris Jones inside was new. You know, they, they were, they were still, still the defensive backfield was still relatively kind of young and with Charverius and Legarius Sneed and Charverius were trying to figure out how they're going to play and how they're going to play together. And Tyran just brought them all together, right? Like he, he was the, 
he's the key to all that and getting teams ready to play. And I think they found their groove, you know, uh, picking up Melvin Ingram was a fantastic pickup to shore up the outside rush and to allow Chris Jones to really do his thing and to work some stunts inside with Jaron Reed. So I think it just took him that. Now you flip to the other side of the ball and I think Patrick Mahomes, when the defense wasn't playing well, it's not that look Patrick Mahomes confidence in all of his teammates, but there was something in going on in his mind that he was basically carrying the entire Midwest on his shoulders in those first several games, because he's like, Oh my God, I got to stay out on the field. Like I, it's not that he would ever say that he would never overtly come out and say, Oh, well, you know, my defense isn't playing well. So I'm going to, I got to pick it up. He's just not that kind of teammate, but come on. You could see in his play. That's what was happening. He was pushing the ball down into the ground. He was trying to force throws. He's trying to stay out on the field, keep the defense over there. Let me win this game myself. And that's no, that's not the way that offense is set up. That offense is footloose, fancy free, let it go. Okay, got a three and out, big deal. The enemy and Reed go back to the lab and they think of something else. Oh, three and out. All right. And the next thing you know, they hit the second and third quarter and it's like, you know, and they pedal to the metal. So Missing that piece of, of being able to play that way is, I think, what really put that team in a tailspin. And then once Coach Bags got things together on defense and they could stop the run, the schedule eased up a little bit. Let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. The Chiefs have had some lulls in their schedule. And 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 Jeff Fadoten, my, my Believe podcast partner, and I, we, we said this really early on when we knew the Chiefs were starting to like pick it back up. We're like at built that Bengals game is let's think about this. This is going to be, that's going to be the toughest game they play mm. in that stretch. If you, if you just, all you have to do is look at the chiefs calendar or calendar, their schedule on, you know, ESPN.com or wherever you want to go. Oh yeah. Joe's right. Like they had a lull there. And I think what the bills did, or what the Bengals did was help them beat the bills. <laughs> like, because the way that the, the, the one thing about the Chiefs coaching staff and the players too, they learn from not only every loss, but they learn from wins. And and I think they took that Bengals game to heart and they said, all right, we had that lull. We had a couple of like air quote again, bye weeks, because they did. They had they had a pretty easy stretch there in the middle of the season and they hit the, the buzzsaw at Arrowhead and the Bengals and you know, turnovers got them, right? It, Patrick wasn't as effective because they were getting to him a little bit and the rest was history, right? And the Bengals win that game, even though the chiefs didn't, it didn't look like the Bengals are going to win that game at the beginning, right? Look like, all right, the chiefs are the chiefs. And then they hit that buzzsaw and Joe Burrow made it happen. So I, I think that Bengals loss was the best thing that could have happened for them. That's not what a Bengals fan wants to hear, you know, cause now they've got to go into Arrowhead, right. As opposed to maybe even somebody coming to Cincinnati, if things would have turned out, for, you know, where the Bengals could have picked up the home field, uh, you know, advantage if, if one of the lower seeds could have won. But I just think I just think it was it was a it was a down hit for the for the for the Chiefs. They figured it out on defense. Patrick started playing. They went, you know. Oh, and one other thing. I'm sorry. I'm bad. I'm on a soapbox here. But no, it's good. But but like one one of the things that I, that, that that Bengals fans, you know, if you don't watch the Chiefs all the time, I wouldn't expect you to if you're a Bengals fan. But like. Their offense is so complicated and so complex, and and there's so many variations to what they do. You know, those first few games this year, it's not like 
you know, there's 31 other defensive coordinators just sitting around going, oh, woe is me. We have the Chiefs on the schedule. Like, they go to work, and they try to figure out, all right, how do you bracket Kelsey? How do you keep Hill from just running across, stretching horizontally, vertically? Like, he just – He's willfully going wherever he wants, right? They they make you cover every single blade of grass on offense when you're when the Chiefs are on offense. And so defensive coordinators they're they're, you know, sitting there trying to dream up schemes to stop it. And I think that was they were effective the first couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, the 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 thing that's really good about that staff, and my fear when Eric Bienemy hits the road and becomes a head coach, is are they going to have that same ability to react and get better as other people are getting better? Because mm. that's what they do. That's what that that's what that staff has done better than any staff I've watched or spent a lot of time studying is that they know how to react to the game plan that other teams give them. And 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 year after year, they've just keep keep coming up with more and more creative ways to outsmart the defense while the defense is trying to outsmart them. And and I think that's been their big bonus so really again long story to a really short question they hit that bottom the defense put it together the offense really you know kind of got back into their footloose and fancy free open up the playbook you know the running game started to work for them a little bit and you know they went on that eight game run but you know Bengals fans should I think they should take heart in the fact that you know they beat them at Arrowhead and who's to say it can't happen again right Talking with Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman, current host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast. I said at the beginning of the show they got Joe rattled, but clearly that wasn't the case because he just gave us an encyclopedia off of one answer. So, you know, it may be something about the name Joe. You know, Joes don't really get rattled. They don't really fold under pressure, just like the (laughs) Bengals quarterback. But going back to the Chiefs defense and like that turnaround from the middle of the season, it was incredibly evident. They were like tops 10 in EPA after being like 30th in the first eight weeks. How would you describe Steve Spagnuolo's willingness to adapt his defense to expose offense's weaknesses? Because the question right now is how much will they try to emulate what Tennessee did with their defensive line, stunting and twisting the hell out of the rushers to get pressure up the middle? Yeah, no, John, that's a great, very astute, you know, uh, observation in, in, in coach Spags and what coach Spagnola does. And I, and, 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 and I can just substitute in the enemy for Spagnola is what and we'll focus on Coach Spags. What he does and all the staff there does is they mold the players. They don't mold the players to the playbook. They mold the playbook to the players. All right. So they don't try to just jam square pegs into round holes. You know, they they create a playbook that works best for the talent that they have. You got it's it's that's a special characteristic that comes with veteran coaching. You know, guys like Andy Reid who's mentored and brought Eric Bieniemy, you know, around on this whole offense thing. Coach Spagnola, who's been around the block. It's not his first rodeo. Those coaches, yeah, they have a philosophy. But let me tell you what they also do well is they take the talent they have and they say, ooh, I'm going to make I'm going to make this playbook work for Tyran Matthew. I'm going to make this playbook work for Chris Jones and Frank Clark and and the young linebacking core and some of the younger cornerbacks that they have. And they don't just try to say, nope, this is my defensive philosophy. We're going to be this and we're going to run this. And I don't care what down it is. And I don't care you know, what your talent level is. You're going to fit my playbook. And that is not what Coach Spags does. And he's historically done that with all the teams he's coached, if you go back and look. 
And and I think that's what separates him and why they were able to pivot mid mid season and really get it together because he, he never just kept force and force and force in his playbook on the players. And and that takes a special kind of coach. Because you know, there's a lot of egos flying around the NFL. And you know, when coaches get a certain kind of a philosophy, they want to just jam they want to log jam players into it rather than saying, all right, you know what? Maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the room. You know, maybe I need to, you know, figure out a different way to get, you know, Chris Jones out there and way to, you know, get this young linebacking core. Cause to me, that was on defense. The linebacking core is if, if I, if I'm a Bengals fan in this game, of course you're going to want to watch these two quarterbacks go at it. Right. But I think, I, it, on on the in, I would watch the linebacking core of the Chiefs because that's really truly where I think the weakness has been. Now, if they don't have Turan back for this and he, you know, coming out of the protocol and everything, that that's going to be a whole nother ball of wax, and and for the Chiefs that they're going to have to overcome because that really, as you saw in the Bills, that really exposed the middle of the field and the communication errors that were happening were it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Like <laughs> that game. Josh Allen, as good as he is, and as good as the receiving core they have, they they should there's a, those plays should not have happened. Um, but I think if I were a Bengals fan, when when the Bengals are on offense, yeah, there's going to be some stuff going on, like you said, in the middle of the line with with Jaron Reed and Chris Jones trying to get pressure up the middle to get in Joe Burrow's face. And then then of course you got Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram coming off the edge. Like, who wants to be in that mix, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. I think Joe Burrow's got the he's got the the wherewithal to, to, to beat that watch the linebacking core. Cause how they play, I think is how the game's going to go. Yeah. We can all say the games are one up front. I think defensively for the chiefs and offensively for the Bengals, the game's going to be one from, you know, five yards to 15 yards out, you know, behind the offense, behind, behind the defense. And, and I think that's where, you know, the chiefs are going to have to really shore things up because the linebacking core can be a little bit inconsistent. So I'm going to, Joe, your former offensive lineman with the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm going to flip kind of that question on you a little bit and talk about the Chiefs offensive line. Major overhaul this last offseason because of what happened in the Super Bowl last year. All of the pressure in the sacks, of course, injuries there at that time. The Cincinnati Bengals have had a, a pretty good year on the defensive line. And from a pressure standpoint, not necessarily world beaters, but you have a Pro Bowl edge defender and Trey Hendrickson. Sam Hubbard's mm-hmm. had a nice year. Larry Joby did until he was lost for the year. Um, you still got B.J. Hill. number of ca- cast of characters there that can get to the quarterback. Um, what are you seeing as strengths and possible weaknesses to exploit for the Cincinnati Bengals along that Chiefs offensive line that has some some good young players they've added and Joe Tooney, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, the, that was, you know, Brett Veach's whole goal in the offseason was like, we can't let that happen again. Like we can't, it's because the offensive line play is so full of chemistry, right? And and you miss one little piece in there and and lack of talent that comes in and fills in. It can be, as everybody saw in that game, you know, against the Bucks, it was devastating, right? I mean, Patrick was running for his life and Patrick, you know, he moves around the pocket like you give him three or four seconds. He's going to find the, the pocket within the pocket. And he's going to he's going to which gives that's what gives Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and some of these other speedy receivers the opportunity to get open and break some zones and also beat some guys man to man as you know, as that speed is either stretching the field horizontally or vertically. Right. And that's what the Chiefs do. They they stretch you 
across the field, right, with speed. And then they also try to beat you vertically and stretch you vertically as well and get you, you know, out of your out of your uh, out of your comfort zone, either, you know, zone or man. Um, but Patrick in, in the Buccaneers, you know, in the Super Bowl game, I mean, he was just it was like it was like instant pressure. Like there wasn't even a chance for him to to even escape. And that's what they said. Well, that's not ever happening again. So they went out. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs pretty much have and and at one point had 10 offensive line starters. When you go up and down the roster and you look at the players that they have starting and also backing up. Now, granted, you can say that you can say that Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey were both rookies. Uh, but they were deemed the starters, so let's consider them, you know, the two starters. And my, what season they've had, uh, you know, especially Creed Humphrey getting a lot of accolades, at, you know, at the rookie center spot. You go out and get Tooney, you know, Wiley Vet, All Pro player, Orlando Brown, super free agent signing, right? And then when you look at who they had backing up and and, and was going to be going in as a starter, right? Lucas Niang starts the season. Well, that doesn't work out. We go to Mike Remmers full-time starter for much of his career. Austin Blythe, center, backup, full-time starter, bring him on. Nick Allegretti started an entire season last year. He's backup guard. Um, you know, and then they trade away, you know, uh, uh, Duvernay-Tardif, right? Laurent Duvernay-Tardif to the Jets. He was a full-time starter two, three years on the Super Bowl teams. And so, Kyle Long, right? They bring Kyle Long, big, huge, you know, free agent sign. Now he's had struggled some injuries, but again, full-time starter. Like they don't have, there are no schlubs, you know, sitting in that offensive line room. And that's, that's a tough balance. That's a tough thing to do is to, is to get, you know, a group of starters like that to, to, to just like put their egos aside and say, look, we're going to, we want to win a Super Bowl regardless of whether or not we could be playing somewhere else. You know, who knows what happens in the offseason, you know, when Nick Allegretti's a free agent and he's played enough to get some looks and Austin Bly says, well, you know, I came here to, th I thought I was going to be the starting center. I'm not, even though I was a starter for much of my career. So, you know, that, 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 that to me was really the sign of, of, of a great thing. And Andy Hecht, offensive line coach, former, you know, Bears, all pro, he just said, I'm going to coach these guys to the point where, you know, we're going to start. We're going to get so good at zone blocking. We're going to block linebackers with the defensive lineman's butt. Like that's what he's been teaching his guys to do. And when you watch the their offensive line come together, the chemistry that this group has, they just like it, it, they, they just they just own the line of scrimmage. And and look, they're not they're not like the old hogs of the Washington football team, you know, of the '80s, where he's just rolling over teams, or the Bears' offensive line, you know, back in the uh, in the '80s. Uh, but they really zone block well. They give their running backs enough time, and they're all fantastic pass blockers. So they're really well balanced, um, and that's what Andy Reid needs in this offense. He needs well well balanced offensive linemen who can run block and can pass block and get out in space and do the extended run game stuff that they do with the screens to Travis and the screens to Hardman and the screens to Tyreek. I mean, you know, and then obviously Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's you know he's a great scat back. So. It's just, you know, it's just the offensive line, I think, to me, has been the key. You know, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, of course, Tyreek Hill. Like, but I think I, again, I'm a homer when it comes to offensive line play because that's what I did. But I really do objectively think that that was the key critical point of this offensive success this year.
you being a homer for offensive line plays exactly why you're qualified to answer this next question. I've had this take for a couple of years now, ever since really Joe Burrow finished his career with LSU. And just let me let me let me ask the whole question because it might sound blasphemous in the beginning. But I always saw Burrow similar to Mahomes in the fact that they can create and extend plays out of structure and they can keep plays alive. And as an offensive lineman, as a former offensive lineman, what is that like knowing that every single play could be like eight, nine seconds long? You have to just have your head on a swivel to just keep blocking those plays. How is it different compared to like having to block for a, a true pocket passer? Oh, man, man, John, that's fantastic question and, and, and really good, you know, um, just a fantastic like way of looking at the game. Um, what you can't do as an offensive lineman is you can't change what you're doing. You have to be able to react. So the Chiefs have athletic offensive linemen who can react because you don't ever want to coach somebody differently than if they were just a drop back passer. Because that's really what Patrick is like. You know, if you watch him, he is he's not Lamar Jackson, right? He's not he's not a a running quarterback. I don't even think I don't even think he's in the class like in the, in that same bucket as even like a Josh Allen. Where Josh is, you know, there's prescriptive runs for Josh Allen. Like he's there, he's he's either going to pass or he's going to run. Patrick, like you said, and Joe Burrow, I think, in the, is in that. They're more in the same bucket where they're extending plays. And if they run, they run. Because you watch Patrick run, he looks like he, he looks like. What did somebody say? He looks like he's wearing shoes that are two sizes too small, and he's running <laughs> on hot coals, right? Like he's not like he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Michael Vick, right? Like he's not that kind of like running back in a quarterback's body, right? Like he's, he's, he's a quarterback, he's a drop back quarterback. And I think the same thing is for Burrow. Um, and, and I think, and I think as a lineman, what, what you have to coach your lineman to do is just block as if he's going to be back there at six yards, right. In the, in the pocket and do your thing and let him react. Because if you start trying to do the revert and like reverse engineer it, we're like, all right, we're going to come up with some interesting blocking scheme to take to, to sort of take advantage of Patrick's mobility, that's when you get into trouble. So sign coach is like, all right, you have to assume Patrick is going to be five or six yards behind the center every play. And if he's not, let him react. And then once you see him moving around, go get on a body and just, you know, and just and and protect Patrick as, as long as you possibly can. That's the way you do it. Because if, if, if you try to get an offensive lineman out of their game and you start coming up with different kind of blocking, pass blocking schemes and techniques, you get, you're going to get into a world of trouble. When you're trying to block a guy who's 325 pounds, who runs a 4-6, who's coming at you while you're going backwards to tear off your quarterback's head. Like it just, you can't, you have to be so zeroed in on that guy's body movements and where he's going. And, and that's why Patrick, you know, that's why he doesn't like there's not a whole lot of plays. If you watch, there's not a whole lot of plays where Patrick Mahomes just like goes. It's always a reaction to the pocket collapsing. Yep. And and what Patrick does as good as any I've ever seen. Joe Montana was a lot like this. And and not that Joe was, you know, and Joe's listening. I'm sorry, Joe. Like I would never say you weren't a great athlete because he was a fantastic <laughs> basketball player. But like Joe's not. Oh, he's listening for sure. 100%. Yeah. He's listening. So, so, so like. But Joe was just as good as Patrick at finding what I call the pocket in the pocket, right? So when you, when you watch 
the pockets start to like, I don't want to use the word break down because it's not breaking down. It's just evolving because that's what pockets do. They evolve. Like, and when it, when it does, he just finds that he just has like these eyes on the side of his head and the back of his head. And he just finds that pocket within the pocket. And he, like you said, John, he extends the play. And to me, that's more dangerous than having like a mobile quarterback where you're like, all right, let's boot him out. You know, let's, let's waggle him out. Let's do this. And let's come up with some funky play action. And like, no, the chiefs are a drop back passing team. And they let Patrick react to what happens. Now, what can happen in that situation, and I think what what has been happening to Joe, unfortunately, is it's it's collapsing too fast. Like you can't just get beat on a swim move right off the ball because then the quarterback doesn't even he can't even react to the pocket. And that's what happened in the Super Bowl. If you go back and watch that film of the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, like Patrick didn't even have time to find the pocket in the pocket, he, he was getting just like rushed immediately because the guys were getting beat right off the ball. And, and I think that's like the big thing. And I mean, I know what Chiefs fans are waiting for. They're waiting for Joe Burrow's luck to run out. If you can call it that. And then I think, I think guys, he's been sacked 20 times without fumbling. And I went back and somebody was sharing some statistics with me. And like the average is like five. The average for quarterbacks is like five sacks per fumble. And like Joe's going on like 20. And, and I think that's what like Chiefs fans are like drooling now going, all right, well, <laughs> it's, t- it's time up. Like, cause, cause, cause nothing guys like I, pick sixes are great. Like, like pick sixes are fantastic. Right. Cause it ch- changes the game, right? Like you're, you're driving down the field and bam, a guy picks one and goes you're like, ah, oh, but, but there's, there's that momentum changes so quickly. There's nothing more demoralizing for an offense. And and this comes from experience than a sack and a fumble. Like it's just because mm-hmm. the, the crowd just gets so into that. Cause it's like, they're, you know, it's like they're at the Roman Coliseum, right. And they're watching the lions devour the gladiators. Like when they, <laughs> when they see that, cause like pick six is like, it's a momentum changer, but it's not, it's not like, a quarterback getting devoured by the line and the ball comes out and it's like, Oh yeah. And the fans are going crazy and the offensive lines demoralized and, yeah. you know, pick sixes. You, you, you see quarterbacks recover from those pretty quickly fumbles on sacks and, and those kind of like that kind of pressure, especially at arrowhead. I mean, look, I, I, I feel for all linemen. I don't care if, you know, um, I cover the chiefs and I'm a chiefs homer. Like I fear for, you know, I feel for the Bengals offensive line going into Arrowhead wondering, coming out of a nine sack game, like how loud is it really going to be there? Like how much are we going to be distracted from our game that it's going to affect us to the point where, you know, we can't get our jobs done because it is so loud. I used to watch Derek Thomas, like, thank God our fans know how to cheer at Arrowhead because like they never, they were Pins, you can hear pins drop when we were out on the field. They just knew because when we're on offense, they don't you don't cheer because so the quarterback can make it do his thing. But I would watch Derek Thomas like I used to feel so bad, like seriously for like tackles. Like I'd be watching them like oh god, like because you can't hear. And then Derek gets that he would get that one extra little step on you because of the noise you know especially as a tackle because you're looking out and he would line out he would line up out there wide 
So you got to take your eye off the ball a little bit to keep your eyes on him. And then all of a sudden now you're moving on his reaction. And so, you know, for my brethren up front for the Bengals, I'm just like, guys, like, just hang in there, man. Like, don't, you know, it's going to be loud. Just, you know, put a spaghetti pot on your head and bang it with a metal spoon for a couple of days. And that'll help you get used to, <laughs> that'll help you get used to how loud it is and distracting because it's more than just a loud, it's distractingly loud. And it's, I don't know if it's the engineering of the stadium because it's an open-ended stadium. It's not like, it's not a dome. It's not like the Kingdom, which was a tiny little 50,000 seat, you know, cement roof dome. Like it's an open air stadium. I don't know what the heck is going on in the engineering of that place or if the fans are just could care less about their vocal cords. It's just so loud, and it's no, it's, it's no. I, really I think I know where you're going here. I, I think you're trying to say that you are pumping noise into the stadium illegally. I think that's what you're <laughs> if, if somebody wants to go do an audit, I'm sure there are NFL officials wandering around there, wondering, you know, and listening for it. But I, I, you know, I know some teams have been kind of. It's been some conspiracy theories that it happens in some stadiums, but it's just so loud. And I, you know, and uh, I, I never encountered it. Uh, anything is loud. Seriously. I'm not just, again, not just being a chief's homer. Like I didn't play in every stadium in my career, you know, um, played in probably of the 32 current, well, or at least current cities. Cause some of the stadiums were, were built new, like in Tampa and stuff, but like I played in almost every city, most of the domes. I, I, I literally can't remember any place that was that loud, except for Denver used to get, get Denver used to get close and old mile high mm. used to get used, used to kind of get close to that to that kind of noise level um, where you couldn't hear yourself think support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference that's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Talking with Joe Valerio at Joe Valerio seventy three on Twitter. Hopefully, he's got a few more minutes to chat with us about no, this about this game. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're rolling. We're rolling. Now it's a two we, minute offense. Let's just yeah, go. That's right. That's right. Well, you mentioned you, you you were talking about Joe Burrow. The Bengals have been, you know, they've been trying to create an artificial environment at practice this week in terms of noise and all that kind of stuff. Burrow has been improving from his rookie year, most definitely in terms of securing the football when getting hit, sacked, etc. But you played with the goat or then goat for a couple of years in Kansas City, Joe Montana. You saw and heard a lot of things in playing with him. And I don't know if you've heard, there have been some actual comparisons. I believe it was Phil Sims and whatnot that Joe Burrow could be very much like Joe Montana. Uh, 
I don't know. I would love to hear from someone who played with Joe Montana like yourself as to the validity of that. Do you see similarities? What do you see when you hear a statement like that? I mean, well, he's young, so we, we don't know. I mean, he look, he's athletic. He's got that cool as the other side of the pillow type mentality, which which you need in the NFL. Right. I mean, you, you need that. And I, and I see that, I see that in Joe Burrow. Um, you know, what, what I, what I don't, what I see that's a little bit different than, than Joe Montana versus a Joe Burrow. Joe wasn't as much, I guess, of like a risk taker, so to speak. Um, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think Joe Burrow has a little bit more of a pot. And I, and when I say this, I say this with all positivity, I think he he has a a positive. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Like it's it's not he's not reckless, but he's he's got this like positive overconfidence or something that that that, that you need. That that as an offensive lineman, I would want I would want my quarterback to have. You know, I don't want my quarterback to be too careful because I'm a I'm a big believer like in life like perfection gets in the way of great. You know, and and he doesn't try. That's what I'm trying to say. He's not a perfectionist. And I, and I like that about, I like that about him. You know, I like that about Joe Burrow, that he's, he's not, um, he's not somebody who, who's afraid to fail and, and take that shot um, and, 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 and go for it. Right. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want to play with somebody like that, who has a high level of humility, but also a very high level of confidence, which is good because confidence comes through preparedness. Right. I mean, you know, true humility isn't, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? Little C.S. Lewis quote in there. Like, yeah, I like that. And, and, and that's what I, you know, that's where I see, that's what, that's what Joe Montana was. Like Joe Montana was the quarterback who he never thought less of himself. He wasn't an aw shucks, you know, push my foot around in the dirt kind of aw shucks kind of guy. Tremendous amount of confidence, never bordered on arrogance ever. Tremendous amount of confidence, and it never bordered on arrogance because he was always thinking of his teammates first. His confidence came through his his ability to be prepared and to have a tremendous amount of confidence in his teammates and in himself. So I, I see that. I see that. And why not? Right? Why not? Why can't you know? Why can't Joe Burrow be the next Joe Montana? Right? Who's to say there? Because it's not going to be a Patrick Mahomes. They're two different styles, right? Josh Allen's not going to be the next Joe Montana and he, he may win as many Super Bowls and Patrick may as well. Tom Brady is, is so different than Joe Montana. You know, they're just different kind of players, but I think Joe, I think Joe Burrow has more of the physical attributes, more of the, more of the, the arm, you know, the, the smarts, uh, the ability to not be rattled as Joe Montana does. Um, So yeah, why not? Right. Why not make that comparison? And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. I think I can speak for Anthony here when when I say that Patrick Mahomes is the first Patrick Mahomes. There's never been a guy like him before. There may never be a guy like him again. Joe Burrow, you know, he's got compared to Brady and Montana, but he's also kind of just like, you know, one of one, basically. You know, there's not a lot that you can compare him to. But just going back to this game, and obviously these teams played three weeks ago, and it took a near-perfect game for the Bengals to beat the Chiefs at home. If you ask Bengals fans how the Bengals can lose in any game, the answer is just obviously pressure the quarterback. And obviously, if you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that you're going up against, that quarterback will take advantages 
will take advantage of those stalled drives and whatnot. But as a guy who follows the Chiefs, who knows this franchise very well, and has seen the Chiefs struggle from time to time this year, what is the best way to beat the Chiefs? Is, is it just to wait till Mahomes makes a mistake, or is there some hidden secret there that the Bengals should know? Um, I mean, I don't know if there's a secret sauce to it, but if I'm if I'm putting a game plan together, let's just talk about you know, look, I'm, I'm not an I'm not an offensive or defensive coordinator in the NFL, um, but just from my opinion, right? If I'm putting a game plan together and just observing where I've seen the struggles, where I've seen the successes. If you can rush, if you can learn to rush Patrick Mahomes in a more disciplined manner where you don't want to spy him because then you lose a little something, right? Cause that's, that's what the bills did on that last play, which was, was absolutely ridiculous. I, I, I couldn't believe that they 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 only I, well I can't believe they rushed four number one and didn't drop all you know didn't drop eight in that in coverage there at the end um, they only ru- they rushed four and then the fourth guy like spied Patrick at the line of scrimmage which was which was which was crazy like I don't know what they were afraid of I, I guess they were just afraid everybody was going to run jets and if they only rushed three then Patrick maybe could rush for you know 30, 40 yards Chunk I, yards yeah I, I, I don't know but. I don't know what, like, I wasn't in that defensive room, so I don't know what, what they were thinking. But so I call it like a mush rush. Like, you want to rush with a sense of urgency and pressure, but you want to keep the, the, the middle of the pocket secure, and, and you want to make sure – it's kind of like kickoff coverage, right? Where you, you know, In kickoff coverage, the first thing a special teams coach says in kickoff coverage, stay in your lanes. Stay in your lanes. Like don't don't give it don't give anybody seams. When you when you give Patrick seams, it gives Kelsey and Hill and Pringle and Hardman and and and, and Clyde Edwards Alaire. It gives them all that extra second to get open and beat you like from eight to fifteen yards. So, like, if I'm if I'm coaching defense, I, I don't know how you would coach it, but I would try to coach the defensive tackles and the ends to sort of have a disciplined rush, bull rush, do a couple of stunts to try to build some pressure in there, but don't give Patrick seams on the rush. Stay disciplined and don't let him step up in the pocket and find a little area where he can get open, throw the sidearm or, you know, get Kelsey going across the field or, or how Kelsey, you know, posts up like an NBA center. That's what I would do. Um, you know, I think that's like the number one thing I would do on defense. I'm not, I'm not like a coverage specialist, so I can't sit here and tell you how to cover Kelsey or, you know, whether, you know, but you do see that most teams will get into some kind of a, a cover two zone with a little bit of man mixed in there. Um, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't, you know, you, you got, you got to just get on those guys. You know, you got to get on Kelsey. You got to disrupt him at the line of scrimmage. You can't let him have a free release. Like I couldn't believe on that play how free he got out on on that you know on that last play to set up the Butker field goal against the Bills. Like don't do let him do that. Just to stop him. You know. So it, it's that disciplined approach to the rush and letting you know Kelsey get off the ball would be the number one thing I would do to to secure a, a better chance to make help to help your defense and to make Patrick make mistakes. And force him to his left. Don't let him go to his right. You see what he does when he goes to his right. Yeah. He's just a, he's he's a different animal when he goes to the right. 
Yep. Uh, speaking with Joe Valerio, host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. They keep feeding us great guest after great guest, and uh, this is definitely one of the best. We we love speaking with you, Joe. Uh, I, I've got maybe a couple questions to end on with you. I don't know if my co-host has has another one or two for you, but oh, I got one. Can, can, okay, so kind of individual matchups. I mean, you talked about Kelsey, you talked about what, what maybe in the trenches or a couple of other individual matchups here and there, do you think you'll be really watching this week and will be key to the end result to this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see, um, you know, what Chris Jones can do on the interior of the line. So like if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a fan, you know, every, I know everybody, you know, the ball hikes, you know, everybody, they just leave, you know, they forget about us linemen, right? They just like, yeah, I go right to the quarterback, right? What's the quarterback doing? Like, I would just, if I were a fan, watch what happens right at the snap with Chris Jones and, and the, uh, you know, and what happens on the interior, whether, you know, it's left guard, right guard, center, whatever, however they're going to, what scheme they're going to come up to block and which direction I would, I would watch what direction the Bills line goes to whether they're going to slide the protection to Jones and Clark, whether they're going to slide the protection to Reed and, 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 and Melvin Ingram. So like, because I think that's where the, that's where the matchup's going to happen. Cause I, you know, what happens in offensive line play, it's all, it's all slide protection these days, right? Like, so what they do is if, you know, picture the four down linemen and one linebacker, Okay, just like, and everybody else is on the perimeter, right? So you picture that in a pass set. So you're going to watch the center, and he's going to point, and the quarterback's going to—they're going to yell a number, right? They're going to—and they do this on a run play because they don't want you to know they're passing, so they will make fake calls. So don't always think just because a center points at a linebacker and the quarterback goes, you know, number 52, 52. Like what the, what they're telling them up front is that's that's the guy that you're going to block offensive line. So. So the center is going to put like, so let's say they got four down linemen and let's say the number 52, the linebacker is offset to the left of the offensive line. Right. So the center is going to say 52, 52. So that's the guy that the offensive line is responsible for. They're responsible for the four down players. Okay. The the defensive tackles in the two ends and that backer. So whoever the uncovered guy is, is going to slide towards that player. So if it's, if they're in a standard, like, 40 front and you got the two defensive tackles are lined up over the guards. Okay. The center's going to, he's going to inch his way to the left so that if 52 comes, either the guard's going to take him, and then the center will take his guy. Or if he goes all the way outside, they'll slide the protection all the way and the tackle will take him. The guard will take the end and the center will take the down tackle, right? That's how slide protection works. So watch that. Watch who they declare as the, as the offensive lines linebacker. So when they do that, right? So for your listeners, when when they declare that the center's going to the left, say there's another linebacker or a defensive back lined up to the right. Mm-hmm. That now belongs to either the running back or the quarterback. Okay? So if the line if the running back is in and it's a you know not an empty set, then the running back's going to take that player and the two linemen on that side are going to be one on one. Does that make sense? Is it, can you yeah. picture that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like Absolutely. what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where the trouble happens because think about it in slide protection. If the center's going to the left, now you've got three offensive linemen blocking two down guys. And if the backer doesn't come, 
Oh, my watch just my watch wants to know what I was doing. It said, "Sorry, oh. can you say that again?" Um, <laughs> I'm scary. So, so, so like, so like, then you have one-on-one matchups. Now, here was the long. That was the longest answer to a short question. I loved it. You you don't want Chris Jones as that singled up down tackle. Yeah. Okay, so picture that, right? So, so the the center's going to the left because he's got to go help the guard and tackle with number fifty-two, who's their guy. And now you've got a one-on-one with Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram on the right, or Chris Jones and Frank Clark on the right, or if the opposite, if they, so what the chiefs will try to do is they'll try to put the, the blitzing linebacker to the side that's away from Chris Jones, because they're going to want the one-on-one blocks to happen with Chris Jones and, 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 and either Frank Clark or Ingram. And they're going to want the center to go, away from Chris Jones and not be able to help. That's what Spagnuolo's the magic he's going to be trying to do. So what he's probably going to do early on is he's going to blitz a linebacker or two opposite Chris Jones so that the slide protection out when Joe Burrow gets the line, he's going to say, all right, guys, you got 52 offensive line. I'm going to take the hot guy over here or the back's going to take the hot backer over here if they come, but they don't want that one-on-one with Chris Jones. And that's where... I would watch early. What is going on with the protection and how is the line sliding and how are they helping each other, you know, with these four guys who are all pretty decent pass rushers. So you don't, you know, it's, it's all going to be about that one-on-one matchup up front and how the chiefs can create more one-on-ones with Chris Jones. Cause what used to happen here, I'll give you a good example. I'll give you a real example. It happened to me. I, got, I had a chance to play against Reggie white in 1992 when, when the Eagles came into town. So one of my like idols, I grew up in Philadelphia. Like, you know, I couldn't believe I saw those Eagles helmets out on the field. I'm like, what is happening? Like, am I actually doing this? Like I just, I was blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard a couple years ago. Like what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Right. I'm going against Reggie white. So like all the whole game, like, so this is what happens. In, this is what happens in an offensive line room. So Howard Mudd's our offensive line coach. Right. And he goes, he goes, he goes, all right. He goes, John Alt, right. Who was our left tackle. I was playing right tackle. John Alt was our all pro left tackle. He's like, mm-hmm. John, you know who Clyde Simmons is, right? And John's like, yeah, coach, I think I know who Clyde Simmons like is, the right? Bengals, too. Yeah. Fantastic pass rusher, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, because guess what, John? You have him all day, one on one. And I'll tell you why. Because we're sliding the entire protection to Valerio, right? I was a second year player. I'm going against my idol, Reggie White, who literally threw me around like I was in high school, right? And so, like, what was happening is we did every slide protection, no matter who was the good, hot linebacker, we were sliding the protection to Reggie White. So when we would get up to the line and it was slide protection, Dave Craig, our quarterback, would be like, slide right, slide right, 92, 92. That told anybody who was uncovered, we're going to Reggie White because Joe needs all the help he can get. And so what that did is that put the pressure on John Alt to say, well, guess what? I'm getting no help at left tackle now, none, because generally the left guard was covered, right? And so you got to try to like create those kind of mismatches, right? And then sometimes mm-hmm. they would put Reggie White on the center, so you didn't know where to slide. So like it just it's like that kind of stuff that happens up front is what I hope fans watch for in matchups. You know, I know that was a really long one. And that was freaking awesome. Some other ones, but like that's just a little bit about line play and the slide protection and how and how it all comes together. So, you know, I, I would imagine the Chiefs are going to be blitzing opposite Chris Jones. 
to get the protection to slide away so they can get a one-on-one with the left guard or the right guard, depending on where he's lined up. Lessons of the Bengals offensive line have yet to learn really based off of that last game against Tennessee. I wish Jamar Chase D Higgins played offensive line. So you, you would be as, as excited to answer this next question. Unfortunately they do not, but obviously the chiefs don't want to give up 266 yards to, to Jamar Chase again, but also if Gabriel Davis can give up or put 200 yards and four touchdowns on the chiefs, the T Higgins is also capable of doing that. Is it just about Ty- Tyran Matthew coming back to chief secondary or what, can the Chiefs do to make sure that one of those guys does not explode like Chase did in that first meeting and then obviously Davis did last week? Well, I think, you know, I think I think what they need to do is that they, they need to obviously not to make it all about the line play again, but they need to rush better. You know, they need to they the, the defensive line needs to be better at um, not giving Joe, the full vision of the field. Like, you know, when you, I went back and watched some of that, you know, clips from that game and it just seemed like Joe had the full vision of the field at his disposal. And you can't do that with a quarterback like that, right? Like if you watch every game that Brady has ever, not, not that the guys failed at a lot of games, but like, I go back to like when my Eagles won that Super Bowl against the Patriots and, and how they were just in his face. Like you just can't operate as a quarterback. Like even in that game, I was watching the Bucks game and, and I'm watching the way that, you know, that, that he was being rushed. And like when he threw that pick over to the side, it was because there was somebody in his face. I don't care if you're Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, like it, John Elway, like all the greats. If you got somebody in your face, you can't make the play. And I think it, the, the, the pressure, especially if Tyran's not, not out there this week, like the pressure is going to be more on the defensive line than it is going to be, you know, they can't let, they can't let Joe Burrow and those really good wide receivers play catch. And to me, that's really what it's going to come down to more than just the matchup between Ward and Chase or Snead and Chase or even Tyran Matthew and Chase. It's going to come down to not letting those guys play pitch and catch. And, and I think, you know, again, not, again, not to make it about, you know, games are one up front. That's what happened in that game. They just were letting Joe play pitch and catch and you can't, you can't do that. And I, I just, maybe they just didn't know what they were in for with Joe. I mean, you hope they would know. I mean, the guys, uh, you know, had a fantastic career, even though he is young, you know, um, I don't know. I, I would never say that Steve Spagnola underestimated Joe Burrow, but that was like the kind of the feeling I got in that game hmm. watching them is that they sort of like they underestimated what he could really do, um, you know, and, and it was like, oh, it's coming into Arrowhead. It's going to be loud. And, you know, not that the Chiefs ever f- think, well, we throw our helmets out there and we win games, but I think they underestimated him. And I'll, I don't think they can do that again. And if they do, it's going to come back to bite them. Because if they give him an opportunity to, you know, I, knew, I know I've used this term like three times, but if they just let him pitch and catch, it's going to be a long day for for the team. I mean, it's like the only hope in that is if 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 the Bengals score a lot, the Chiefs can keep up with them, right? Like it's not like the Chiefs don't have an off. It's not like they have an offense that is you know, a grind it out, like, oh my God, if we're down by two touchdowns, it's over because we've never been in shotgun formation before because, and I've been there. Like when I played my first two years with the Chiefs were, 
I think we, if we had 70 plays in the game, we ran the ball 52 <laughs> times because it was Christian Okoye to the left. It was, you know, Barry Word to the right. You know, those two guys' as tailbacks were bigger than any defensive tackles I blocked in the Ivy League. <laughs> so my, <laughs> I saw Christian Okoye. I'm like, he's my tailback. He weighs 265 pounds. I didn't, I never played against a defensive tackle who was 265 pounds. <laughs> I was like, give me the ball and let me run behind him. But like, we knew when, when that team got behind, we were sunk. Yeah. You know, because we just yeah. didn't. We, look, I love Dave Craig, and you know he was Steve DeBerg were fantastic. They were both at the end of their career. They, you know, they were not they were not the kind of guys that were going to you know light it up in a two minute drill. And so, you know, I think that's the one thing the Chiefs have going for them against a fast paced team like the Bengals is that they can keep up. They're never out of a game. You know, they're just yeah. never they're never out of a game, and we saw that against the Bills, right? So. You know, I think if I'm if I'm going against the Bengals this week and I'm Steve Spagnola, I, I think you pressure Joe Burrow un, until he beats you twice. Like I like I wouldn't be so scared if I'm Steve Spagnola and I go after Joe in the first quarter and I just blitz, 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 like put the pressure on him, try to try to rattle that offensive line. That's what I would do if I were Spags. I'd just be like stunt blitz stunt blitz like loud crowd noise get them in third and long like you know because and if joe throws a touchdown and beats the defense the way that Allen did a couple of times fine but keep doing it because like the chiefs can keep up you know their offense can keep up so like that's what i would do i would i would i would bait fish a little bit if i'm spags coach spagnola i'd be like let me let me see if i can rattle this kid and and just keep keep the pressure on him. And if he beats us, all right, he beat us. But we'll, we'll Patrick will score. He'll come back. He'll get that. He'll get it back. Keep going and see how it goes. And if that doesn't work, then the Chiefs might be in for a long day, you know. Yeah. But yeah. but that's like you know that's the kind of stuff that's the chess match that happens out there. Talking with Joe Valerio, host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, we this has been. Incredible. And I knew I'd get smarter talking to an Ivy League guy tonight. So oh my uh, this, God. this has been awesome. Um, before we get your score prediction, I've, I'm kind of a history guy. I'm an NFL history guy. And obviously, you kind of talked a little bit about quote on, you didn't use the term, but you said running the ball a lot during your your days with the Chiefs. That's known as Marty Ball. Oh, yeah. Um, we Marty obviously coached the Browns in the old AFC Central. He was your coach in the Kansas City Chiefs, and he recently passed away. In my mind, a really, really good football coach, a really good man, and a guy who was hyper intelligent. Um, I don't know if I, I don't really under know what kind of question I'm asking you, but if you have some thoughts on Marty Schottenheimer, who was a big figure in in the NFL and obviously, you know, a really good coach for a really long time, we'd love to hear it. Oh God, I I, I, I kind of well up when I think about coach, and he was like a father figure, you know, yeah. to all of us. He 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 had that perfect perfect sense as a coach of knowing how much he cared about you but yet he knew that he was never going to be your buddy he was never going to be that pal around guy like he was a father figure like that's the best way i could i could put it i Mm. guess is is and and i love that and we needed that like it you we we relished the fact that he was like that he knew he cared about us so much and you know his emotion he was he was willing to put his emotions out on his sleeve and cry when he needed to cry you know and and not being so macho that 
you know, he couldn't cry in front of his players when he had an emotional thing happen in his life, whether it was a game or a personal issue or whatever. He just knew he cared. And like that was really that was really cool to be coached by somebody like that who was who was so smart. Um my my biggest thing about Marty, like that I feel for him is that like I hate that he, you know, will be kind of known sometimes as like the guy who couldn't, you know, didn't win the big yeah. one. I think it's ridiculous. It's yeah. ridiculous because, you know, there's, you know, well, back then it was, you know, it wasn't all, you know, whether 32 teams or 28 teams or whatever, like, like there's only one team that goes to the Super Bowl every year. And there's only been, you know, 50 plus Super Bowls, like, and, and there's been multiple winners. Like there's only been so many teams that have done it. Like, but the fact that year in and year out, he put a product out there you could be proud of where players were going to do the right thing in the community and win games and put a, put a, put a team out there you could root for and, and go to the playoffs and bring excitement. And like, he was the foundation of this cheat to me. He's literally, there were some great coaches, you know, uh, uh, back to the Hank Stram days and, mm. you know, Marv Levy even had a stint in Kansas city, but he, to me, he's the shoulder of the giant that we're standing on and that Andy Reed is standing on. Cause he mm. built this and Dick Vermeil took it to a new level and, you know, brought in some really fantastic offensive schemes and things like that. But I think Marty built this organization and like, we're, we're like this whole organization is standing on his shoulders right now. And, and I think that's really cool. Um, my favorite Marty story was we said Marty used to Marty time was Lombardi time. I mean, I was, I remember my rookie year, like we went 13 days in a row for the first 13 days of training camp, full pad, two a days, right. We're just beat, beating the snot out of each other. Oof. Right. And like after the sixth day, coach Schottenheimer, um, you know, he happened to be a uh, Catholic and I happened to be Catholic and, and some of the veterans were like, Hey, Rook, you know, I know you're Catholic, you know, Marty's Catholic. Right. And I was like, yeah, I heard the coach was Catholic. Like, they're like, go ask him if we're going to get off tomorrow so we can all go to mass. <laughs> so, so I go up to coach Schottenheimer on, on, on Saturday night. And I was like, coach, uh, just wondering tomorrow, like, um, you know, I know my grandmother would be really happy if, you know, good Catholic, Italian Catholic kid would, you know, be able to get to mass tomorrow. <laughs> right. And he's like, he's like, Joe, he goes, I love that you're asking me this. It's fantastic. He goes, you make grandma Valerio proud. He said, but uh, I've got it taken care of. Don't worry. And, and he goes, I've got a priest coming in at lunchtime. He's going to do a oh mass at God. lunch. So, so he had this priest come in from the local church in, in, in River Falls, Wisconsin. And, and, and the, the priest said like a 10 minute express mass and, and, and got us back, you know, to lunch. And then so that we could have our second two a day on Sunday, I was like, Oh man. So like <laughs> that experiment failed, but like Marty and coach Schottenheimer, we used, to, we used to laugh about that all the time. He'd be like, remember that time you came up and asked me, but like, he just was like, he was really special. And, and I'm mm. glad you asked me that. I'm glad. Thank you for, for keeping that sort of like Ohio memory alive of coach, even though he you know, wasn't with the Bengals. But I know that, you know, that whole closeness of, of the old AFC Central. And uh, like, thanks for asking that because he, he, yeah. he was really special. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we loved him. We loved him. Yeah. We loved him. And he was a fantastic human being and, and his family. And, you know, Brian, his son, has had a fantastic yeah. career as a coach. Uh, you know, guys, another one, Nate Hackett, just getting that job, 
was uh, I watched Nate Hackett play high school ball. He was Paul Hackett, our offense yeah. coordinator's son. And uh, God, I remember Nate was like our, our ball boy out there. I'm like, I'm, I turned to my wife when I saw that news. I'm like, that's Nate. Like, how old am I getting that? I'm like, Little Nate. I, rem- I remember when like the ball boy is, is now like an NFL like head coach. I'm like, dude, I am so, I got to get my hair. I got to put some shoe polish in my hair <laughs> and, dye, and dye this gray wig because I feel really old right now. But, but yeah, so anyway, I know that was a long, that was a long one, but. No, that's good. Thanks for asking about coach. No, he, he, you know, he, he had his place in the AFC Central, and obviously, most people remember him for his time with the Chiefs, and had a successful run with the Chargers after that too. Oh, but yeah, uh, like I said, a hyper intelligent guy and well respected. I know, you know, there's kind of that big game stigma, but I mean, he got teams two big games very often. So, uh, really well respected coach, John. I was going to ask Joe for his prediction. Do you have any other questions for him before we bounce on out of here? Wait, we said, Joe, Hey, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Here we are an hour later. And we it's, it's we're, we're whatever. But Joe, this is John, great, if you, this is yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, John, if you got one, one more before we hop out of here, but, uh, go for it. Yeah, I got no other questions. I just wanted to comment in like you can't beat those ten minute masses though. Like they're they're elite, <laughs> right? I know. It is. For that part of it, it was fine, but the the fact that I had to go get a nap and then go out for my what that would have been my seventh day of two a days in a row. Oh. I was hoping at least I was hoping, and then we and then we went another six. We went thirteen days. I used to hug my my uh, my toothbrush at night and cry. I'd be like, I would just hug it and be like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home, right? Yeah, like God can give you then, you know. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, but uh, you know, oh my God, the stories I could tell about about those training camps. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But but yeah, it, it, those ten minute masters are pretty good. The prediction, Anthony. Whew. I mean, look, I know we're I know we're on a. I don't want to I don't want to come off as a chief. No, you you got to You got to go with Do what it. you feel. We're gonna, you know, thanks, look, team, by I, the way, I, I, this is and more material. Yeah, I, 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 I look, I'm not I'm not that much of a homer. Like, I, I love my Chiefs I played for them. I cover them like I've got a ton of Chiefs fans and all that stuff. And like I even I didn't the first Bills game, I predicted they would lose that game. So I'm not that much of a homer that I go, geez, you're going to win every game. I try to be really objective. I really do. Um, I think the I think what what's what's going to help the Chiefs in this game and why I think Vegas is looking at it sort of the same way that I am. Is that this is a this is a the chief staff is as close as I could I could say comes to like artificial intelligence that they just learn at every from every experience and they just keep getting better and they're going to learn from that loss to the to the Bengals and and I think I just think if if Patrick can look it's it's going to be a, a puncher's game because you know my dad was a professional boxer so like he used to talk about that all the time like this is a puncher's fight like. You might be fighting the heavyweight champ of the world, but all it takes is one roundhouse to knock him out. That can happen, right? That's why it's the NFL, and that's why last week, you know, four games came down to, to walk-offs, right? Like, yep. who knows, right? So I do. Want, I don't want to say like there's no hope in this game, but I, I, I think when you look at it on paper, I, I think I think the Chiefs win the game by a touchdown, which is that's not. I don't. I don't think it's going to be double digits. Like I think the, so. That's why I say it could be a puncher's fight. That. You know, one roundhouse, one pick six, one big fumble, one special teams guffaw, you know, somewhere along the line, it changes the whole dynamic of the game. So, but I, I do, I do think that the Chiefs are going to win. I think it's going to be a mildly high scoring game. I, I think the Chiefs win 31 to 24. Okay. Um, and I think Burrow keeps him in it. He's tough. 
He's going to, he's not going to get rattled. I just think that the chiefs are going to just outpace the Bengals a little bit more and learn from the loss that they had as long as they take care of the ball, anything can happen with turnovers though. And that's just, that's just how I feel about the game, but, but, but not so not where I would walk in here and say, never would I walk in and say, Oh, you know, if any, if either team, either fan thinks that their team's going to walk away in this thing with a lock, they're, even the Chiefs fans are crazy. You know, as good as the, the Chiefs are playing right now, it's it's not a lock. And and that's yeah. why I say it's kind of like a it's like a it's like a touchdown game. Now, because I, I think because I think that, you know, yeah, I, that's that's just kind of where I'll leave it at that. No, that's that's fair enough. And, you know, it's that's where the Vegas line is is set currently. And um the good news is that regardless of the result. It seems as if this is going to probably be a somewhat regular, if not a really regular matchup in the postseason going forward in the very near future based on where these teams are headed. So there's totally. good news, good news based on regardless of the result for either, either team. Yeah. Joe, the, the AFC West is, is the a, I mean, the AFC, the AFC West, I'm getting the AFC West centric. The AFC is fantastic. Yeah, it is. I, it's just, I, I think it's, you know, I just think it's fantastic. I really do. Um, I, I, up and down the, the the divisions, you just look at the teams and the parity, you know, and the kind of games that have been played. I just think it's it's a really really fun conference to be in right now. I think it's the conference where it's at myself. I mean, um, I know there's some good teams on the other side too, but I just think the AFC is just just stocked with great young quarterbacks, athletic players, athletic teams, great coaches. It's just great rivalries within each division. Uh, and now we're getting these intra-division rivalries like the Bills and the Chiefs and the Bengals and the Chiefs. And it's just, you know, I just think it's it's where it's at. But anyway, I could talk all day. I, I keep no, going. it's good. This going. has been – You yeah, have to it, shut me off. Get the hook. No, start it's playing, all right. This start, has playing been awesome. the Acad- start playing the Academy Award music, <laughs> you know, the walk-off music. Well, I, I do that in work meetings. I have a little, I have a little uh, video on my computer – that when people start talking too much, I start playing that over. Like when <laughs> people in, in our business meetings start talking too long, I, I start hitting it. And blast yeah. it louder yeah. and louder. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Joe, this has been incredible. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Just for our listeners, we've got a lot of live listeners across uh, that are tuning in right now across a lot of different platforms. Where can they find your show, get some more Chiefs info, and yeah. tune in most definitely at least this week and next week based on the result yeah. going forward. No, and I'd love first of all, guys, this was awesome. It's fun. I love to chat with you guys. You guys get it. Um yeah. Um you can find me on at Joe Valerio73 and Twitter. Um I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, I just launched it, picking up some subscribers. Um, it's got uh, most of it, you know, centered around some of my stuff with the cheese, but my, my favorite part of it is I have this little, uh, thing I started called cup of Joe and it's like a Monday motivation video. Um, cool. you know, whether you're in community service, whether you're in education, business, uh, industry, sports, whatever, I try to throw some football fun analogy and stories in there to, you know, on teamwork, leadership, uh, you know, all that role, being the best that you can be. So I have this little Monday motivation cup of Joe thing going on YouTube. So it's, if, if you Google like Joe Valerio lessons from the gridiron, you know, you'll, you'll kind of find it at least on YouTube and I'm kicking that off and having a lot of fun with that. I post all of our little podcast clips there. 
got some cool, you know, old chief stuff. I was a broadcaster for two years. I got some broadcasting clips on there. I was actually a sports anchor in Kansas city. Um, nice. so yeah, so, so, so if, 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 you know, people want to, you don't have to be, it's not, not really some of it's chiefs focused because I played for the chiefs, but this Monday motivation thing is going to be for everybody. And I hope maybe if, you know, if you're, listeners want to tune in and get a little motivation here and there. There's some great stories I'll be sharing with folks uh, that they uh, hopefully help them, you know, help them through their day and be a little better. So that's, that's kind of where it's at. Well, I know I'll check it out. So that's awesome. Joe, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for your great amount of time, your great analysis. And quite honestly, I think this is going to be a really fun game, regardless of the result. Yeah, to watch definitely. For, for both. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've got a good one ahead. So promise um, me we'll thank- do it again. All right. Yeah. Promise me we'll do- you guys have all my contact info now. You got it. You cell phone, whatever, whatever. Uh, the email, next NFC championship, DM. you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sounds next good. Year. Yeah. Sounds good. Enough, you know. <laughs> And, and and if the Bengals are heading to the Super Bowl, then I'll come on and tell you what I think of that. You know how they're going to beat how they're going to beat the the Rams, who I think are going to win that game. By the way, okay, but, all right, okay, so, you know, all right. I think I think the I think the luck is going to run out for the Niners myself, but I think they're going to hit a juggernaut here. I mean, it's okay. an all star Rams team is an all star team, man. They just put it, pretty good. They they put it together. So it's I think I you know. As much as I, you know, I love the guys with the vowels at their name, end of their name. You know, I think luck has run out for for Garoppolo and, and the boys. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, this has been a blast, guys. Anytime, love to awesome. love to love to jump in. Awesome. Well, appreciate it. Go check out all the things that Joe was just talking about. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Valerio seventy three. He is one of the hosts of the Believe in Chiefs podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Joe, thank you very much, and John, thank you as well. We will see everybody very soon, and we'll be talking about the result on Sunday. Take it easy, everybody. Enjoy, guys. Take care. You got it.